The following podcast is a Simpronto Media production. She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away podcast. One of the things I've realized is that there's so many chemicals in laundry detergent and the soaps out there. So I either make it myself, it's actually pretty easy, or I use my green fills. If you go to chantelrayway.com soap, I'll give you my free recipe for laundry soap. Or if you just feel like buying one that's really clean and not filled with tons of chemicals, you can get it there, chantelrayway.com soap. Hey guys, I'm on my way home from being on national TV talking about intermittent fasting and I'm answering the question, does intermittent fasting help you lose weight? Maybe you guys have tried intermittent fasting and lost some weight, but now you might just be stuck in a rut where you're not losing as much as you want. Well, I've interviewed over a thousand thin eaters and I've learned that intermittent fasting is just one of the tools they use, but there's so many more. There's nine other principles that they use to stay thin. To get out of your rut, click here to watch this free video. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode, and I'm excited to introduce to you Jeremy Fox. He's a licensed therapist, and our title today is Trauma and Problemed Eating. So welcome, Jeremy. Hey, good to be with you, Chantel. It's, uh, it's awesome to talk to a fellow podcaster here. So tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So... I am a licensed professional counselor, LPC, in the state of Colorado. Originally, I'm from South Carolina. I'm a Southern boy at heart. Um, So I got my master's degree and then got my license and did a lot of post-grad work in trauma, specializing in EMDR, which is eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. It's It's a mouthful. It's a clinical modality that focuses on helping trauma survivors to overcome really negative past memories that have emotional and physiological um, symptoms ingrained and and that sort of investment there. So stuff like sexual assault, people's memories of being assaulted, sexually, physically, even emotional verbal abuse, EMDR really helps with. So that's where I go. And it helps with a lot of physical behaviors that maybe we're doing without wanting to, and that can include eating, so. Awesome, so tell people, what does EMDR stand for, and what exactly is EMDR you know, therapy? So EMDR, eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. So it is a modality that uses horizontal eye movements to um, get people, keep people's attention in the present to offer a, a distracting stimulus while they're thinking about a traumatic memory. So as an example would be, let's say someone has what we would call single episode PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder from a car crash that was really cataclysmic. Okay. And so they'll sometimes if they, if they're riding in the car or if they even see cars on TV or in commercials, they'll remember this and have this biological reaction Um, maybe a tightening in the chest or a reliving of this incident. So what we would do with EMDR is obviously prep the client, teach them to do some breath work, teach them to imagine a calm place they can go to. And then once we've done that, we go into the traumatic memory. And so we have the person in session think about the memory itself, a negative thought like I have no control or this is going to happen again or something like that. 
um, have them think about the negative emotions that surround this event, how they feel about it, and have them name the body sensations that they're feeling and name a positive belief that they'd rather have, like I can drive safely or I can react to my surroundings. So we have them notice all of that and then we have them move their eyes back and forth. Uh, research has shown that horizontal eye movement activates delta waves in the brain similar to that of slow wave sleep. And we know that slow wave sleep is a time when memories can be reconsolidated or in layman's terms, reformed, reshaped, put in a, in a form that is less fragmented and traumatic. Like we know PTSD memories are, they're very physical, very timeless. It feels like it's happening now. The memories are taken from that form and put in an episodic form where you think, okay, that was terrible. It's awful, but it's over. So if you can think of almost any traumatic event that you've been through, EMDR can be a really good solution for it. So, you know, let's talk about how trauma can lead to overeating. Absolutely. And lead to people running to food. So my mom is actually a licensed Christian counselor and I had a pretty, you know, I had a pretty cush upbringing. You know, I used to live right down the street from Joe Gibbs. You do know the Washington Redskins, Joe Gibbs. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. So like I lived in a really nice neighborhood, all the people who I literally had Joe Gibbs live here. I had all of the top Redskins, Joe Theismann, John Riggins. They all live like, you know, right in the same neighborhood. So I lived in a pretty, you know, you know, upscale, you know, area. My sure. It was a licensed, she's a licensed Christian counselor. Um, but my dad was never around. He was actually a drug addict and they got divorced when he was 12. And I really can't think of very many traumatic events that I had in my life. The only one I could think of is that one time I actually did see my dad uh, do drugs. And, mm. and so that was a little bit traumatic. But besides that, I really didn't have a traumatic upbringing that I can think of. The only thing I was thinking of that for me, cause I, you know, obviously I used to um, run to food. That was my go-to, right? Okay. Go-to was I would run to food whenever I was stressed. And so, I, you know, the things that I can think of is that one of the things my mom used to do when I was younger is if I was having a bad day at school, she'd be like, do you remember TCBY? Like, do you know that place? The yogurt? Yeah, the yogurt place. Thank. Uh, yes, of course I do. Um, so she'd be like, let's go to TCBY and get a yogurt or, you know, mm. like a snack. I mean, the that's the only thing I can think of is how did I get to a place? Um, so I want, obviously, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast struggle with overeating, binge eating. They run to food just like I used to do. They ran to food every time they were stressed. So what what are some of the things that I've said that maybe, you know, the other thing my mom used to do is like she used to make super, super healthy foods. Yeah. And she would make things like turkey enchiladas that were disgusting. And um, when I was at school, she used to like, she would, I would have like tuna fish on whole whole wheat while and never gave me any sugar like if I if I was good I would get two or three M&Ms like she really restricted how much sugar I got because she was always trying to get me to eat healthy but okay. it was to like an extreme right because yeah was like you know you don't give you know she'd be like 
okay, you can have five M&Ms or five Skittles if you're, if you have good behavior, you know? Yeah. So I, I feel like I was, when I was younger, I always felt a little bit deprived. So I think that once I, you know, got out on my own, you know, it was like, okay, any chance I can to have something sweet, it was like, okay, I'm going to have something sweet. So name some kind of things that maybe you can think of that maybe like that or other things that you've seen people of, this is why, like what causes someone to run to food while the next guy says, oh, I'm stressed, I'm going to alcohol. Well, that's a great question. Wow. So much, so much that we can go off of here. So before I get too ahead of myself, I want to let listeners know that there's a whole protocol in EMDR. So we call the different um, scripts that we use, the different kind of loading mechanisms of, of questions and things to bring up memories. We call them protocols. So there's the standard protocol, which is what I went through of take the memory, take the thoughts, emotions, body sensations, the negative belief you have and the positive belief you want to have, throw them together, focus on the negative emotions, thoughts, the event itself. That's the standard protocol. Okay. Um, there's one called the desensitization of triggers and urge reprocessing or deter protocol created by a famous EMDR clinician, famous, you know, in our world um, of EMDR named AJ Popke. So his, the Popke's deter protocol actually helps to desensitize a lot of the memories and reinforcement associated with certain behaviors. So problem gambling, sex addiction, food addiction, alcoholism, all of that can be targeted with EMDR with the specialized addiction protocol we have, by the way, that works not just for substances, but for behaviors, as we know, food addiction and, and internet addiction, sex addiction, those things are all behavioral addictions because there's not strictly, and you could argue with food, without, with, with food, you know, there's a, there's, literally substance you're intaking, but it's not the same thing as substance abuse diagnostically. So we, we're not going to get into all that. But what you went over there is you installed, so what you did is you paired a positive feeling of comfort with your mother and a positive sort of safety with food, literally. So that sort of, you, you would go, what we do a lot of times in life is we seek out events and stimuli that remind us and that load our memories like putting on a playlist, right? Like a playlist of memories. So when food, when eating kind of cues up that emotional playlist of positive feelings and sensations of being safe, then you're going to keep doing that. And that's the same thing with if someone develops any other kind of addiction where it's paired with some kind of experience with a set of memories, um, that's why it's so important people are trying to get over any kind of addiction to actually avoid people in places that remind them of it because it's going to cue up those memories and it's going to make that urge to engage in the addiction even stronger, right? Because memory is very associative. So when you associate love with blank, that becomes problematic. So people can associate sex and love where they, they have sex addiction where only when you're in the throes of that do you feel love and then they can kind of seek that out in places where maybe the relationship is unsustainable. Okay, that's a big thing people do. So with food, same thing, you're gonna seek out food. Now it's not exactly the same thing obviously, but it's the, the principle of doing something that makes you feel safe. In one of your recent um, podcasts with uh, Dr. Patel from the Living Proof Institute, he spoke about how eating, eating, okay, sugar quells 
the cortisol released during stress. So stress eating is scientifically at that point understood, right? We know during stress, if you quell that with sugar and then on top of that endogenous effect of sugar itself, it being somewhat of a cortisol remover, when you associate sugar, sugary foods with love, oh my gosh, how is it that we wouldn't get problem eating, right? Of course you're going to have that. So with EMDR, what we do is have people notice a memory, a, a trigger, excuse me, of when they would feel like they need to eat or overeat, right? So it would be something like, I'm feeling very stressed and I really want to reach for the cake. And it's like, okay, so notice that. Notice the urges you're getting, the feelings, okay? Eye movement, thinking about that. Then the person starts to notice that they have that urge less and less. You're desensitizing that trigger, the urge, so that's how the EMDR works with problem eating or any problem behavior where you feel the urge. Because anytime we have a behavior that we don't want to do, that we're doing, no matter what it is, food, uh, anything, we want to gain control of that because there's a part of us, there's a vulnerable part that is making this decision for us. We would call that an ego state, a part of us usually younger that is doing something like a safety blanket mechanism. And it gets problematic because when that's our only coping skill, that's unsustainable. Hey guys, one of the things that will take your weight loss to the next level is coaching. You can either work one-on-one -on -one with me or one of our certified private coaches. If you'd like, you can schedule your free call. It's a 10-minute strategy call just to see if coaching is going to really take you to the next level. The other thing is listening to the audiobook. Listening to the audiobook and getting the video course that I've done, people are seeing dramatic results. If you just listen to the audiobook 30 minutes a day over and over and over again and get the video course, go to ChantelRayway.com and check out the video course. You won't be sorry you did. Hey guys, I want to tell you about a great product that you absolutely cannot live without, and it's called Digest Aid. When you're stressed, you might not be able to produce as much stomach acid. And if you're eating a little more right now and you're stressed, you need help to digest your food. My Digest Aid that I created has enzymes that are capable of doing just that. It has both betaine HCL, not just HCL, but an enzyme pepsin that helps your body digest your food, which is really unique. And right now, all of our products are 30% off. Go to ChantelRayway.com, click on store, and get yours for 30% off. Just use the promo code PODCAST. I don't know about you guys, but I've been doing a ton of cooking lately, and I've been having so many new recipes. Go to ChantelRayway.com slash free recipes to get the best kale dressing recipe you'll ever have, the dairy-free artichoke dip that you will love for completely free. I also want to give you my entire free smoothie book that has the best smoothies. One of the things that can help you lose weight is just to replace one of your meals with an amazing smoothie. So if you're eating two meals, just make one of them a smoothie. You can get my free amazing recipe book at ChantelRayway.com slash free recipe. And our protein shakes are amazing as well. And right now they're 30% off. Go to ChantelRayway.com, click on store and use podcast for the 30% off your protein shake. You know, a lot of people, so for me, my family, my mom is American, but my dad was Iranian. And so all my aunts and uncles and everything were Iranian. And the thing with people who are Iranian, they associate food with love. So people joke me all the time because if you come to my house, when I tell you 
it will be a smorgasbord. And they'll joke because sometimes I'll fa be fasting. So I might put all this food out because the other night we had dinner and we had people over and I had already had a big lunch that day and I decided I wasn't eating dinner. And I, I tell you, I had a spread like you wouldn't believe. And they were like, Chantel, you're not eating. I was like, I'm actually fasting. I already ate for lunch. I'm not eating. Right. Night. And they just can't even believe how much food I put out. Right. In my mind, like, that's what you do, right? That's what they do. When you come over, it's this huge spread. And that's how you show love is by feeding people. And so right. my, my husband says that all the time. Like, the, people come over and he's like, that's how she shows love. She just loves to feed people. <laughs> yeah. So I just love that you said that. It's like when you associate X with love. So somehow I have in my upbringing and everything, I have associated that when you give people food, that's when you show them love. Right. And there's nothing innately wrong with that at all. I think we can go way too far. I mean, I live in Colorado right now, and that is a, a very healthy eating state and, and to the point that some restaurants will have like, artisan sodas and things people will really calorie count and i think you can get too too far with that um i i think naturally developmentally across the human the, the development of human culture gathering around a table and eating and enjoying that sh fix on on sugar which again one of your previous guests said would have been fruit can be very cathartic and helpful it's that our food has decreased in quality and increased in additives and that's a, that's a nutritional and therapeutic issue, right? It's like we have these communal societal gatherings as, as social beings that are perfectly acceptable, enjoyable, and really positive and recommendable, like just absolutely essential that we socialize. So the problem becomes how much we can do that with the memory in place of that we would be eating, right? The muscle somatic memory and the mental memory of eating foods at that time when we're doing this stuff. So it's very associative. So food being associated with love, the substance of food itself versus like the table and the gathering of people being associated with love, we can kind of extricate those a little bit and try to keep it where you can still be in that environment. Maybe imagine, okay, instead of doing this, so part of EMDR is what we call the installation phase. And so when we desensitize or take away that trigger urge to overeat or whatever, to, to eat a bunch of sugar. And we imagine, okay, what am I going to do instead of that? And you can imagine, okay, I'm going to sit at the table. I'm going to have black coffee and I'm going to talk and I'm talking to my aunt right now. I'm talking to my uncle. You imagine what you want to do instead of unconscious eating or drinking, right? And so that also, by the way, gets into alcohol. You said, why would some people get addicted to eating and others alcohol? Well, so what we, some of, of what, um, different nutritionists and naturopaths are getting into now is that like alcohol addiction is actually a form of sugar addiction because there's a lot alcohol can get can, um, converted into so so ye, the yeast and alcohol right and a lot of the sugary additives people can really be addicted to that and so it looks like a, a masquerading not only as alcohol addiction to the the um, actual facts the inebriation but to the sugar in the alcoholic drinks, that's something to look at. People with a sweet tooth can, can easily have a problem relationship with alcohol. Um, 
But I think it's, it, we just talked about that pairing of love with whatever, or the feeling of relief or being able to avoid stress by doing X, whether that's um, eating or, or drinking alcohol. It's just what someone finds first and how much it suffices. So if someone really gets a lot of comfort from food, they may stick with that as a problem behavior. If that's something that they got a lot of comfort from. But if they maybe drink alcohol and really blunted things out, blunted trauma out, and they need more distance from those memories, they may have more of a problematic relationship with alcohol. So it kind of depends on the level of trauma versus kind of the, the, the availability, availability of the substance. Um, there's a lot of factors there. But the, the more someone wants to escape, the more psychoactive the, the, the drug they're going to pick, right? So if they just need a little bit of a dopamine burst to feel better, food may suffice. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, one of the ways I've been able to help heal my food addiction is that before I put one bite of food in my mouth, <clears throat> I ask myself, Am I physically hungry right now? Is my stomach growling? Am I using food for any other reason than fuel for my body right now? And right. When I'm not hungry, I have to literally stop and pray. And I'm like, God, what I want to do right now, I'm completely stressed. I want to run and eat an entire pizza and pan of brownies right now. But I'm going to ask that you take that urge away, help calm me down. I'll quote Bible verses. I'm going to go take a walk. I'm going to go take a hot bath. I'm going to listen to worship music. Like, and then after so many times of me not using food for my go-to now, I'm like, if I'm stressed, I'll grab Heather and say, let's go out for a walk right now. I, I just need to get out of the office. And you're, you're creating other habits to do that. Can you talk about any other things that you can do? So let's just pretend like right now, somebody is just like, I feel like everybody right now <laughs> that I'm talking to, yeah, going with COVID-19, right? Absolutely. They're like, you know, I'm, you know, they have all these memes that they have where they have these fat babies and they say like me after eating all my COVID-19 snacks, you know? Oh yeah. You know? Yes. So what, what can someone do? Like, well, let's say right now they're completely stressed. They're out of a job. They don't know where they're going to get their next meal from and they're stressed and their first go-to is to run to food. Okay. Tell us some self-talk they need to do right at that moment. Well, that's a great point. So first of all, I'm going to go with some tried and true dialectical behavior therapy, which that's an amazing modality for your listeners to get into. You can do it yourself. EMDR, it's not recommended that you desensitize stuff on your own because it can bring up past memories and trauma. But with something like DBT therapy, or excuse me, DBT therapy is redundant. Um, it's a, a modality that helps you to notice mindfully your urges and things that come up. So first of all, I would say, Notice that desire. Notice where you feel it in your body, okay? Maybe the desire in your arms to even reach out, the feeling in your throat of tightness. And just breathe to the count of four. So do what we call square breathing, which is breathe in to the count of four, hold that in-breath to the count of four, exhale to the count of four, and then hold the exhalation before breathing, before inhaling to the count of four. So it's like you're imagining a box of four seconds each way around there. So you can engage that parasympathetic nervous system to calm oneself by breathing to that four count for 40 seconds, okay? And that's to any slow breathing will engage the parasympathetic nervous system, which 
for listeners out there, I'm taking for granted they've, they've listened to your other podcasts, but the parasympathetic nervous system is the rest and digest sort of um, relaxation branch of the nervous system, right? And the sympathetic branch is the kind that's responsible, that works with the brain in the fight or flight response. So that's what you want to get away from. You want to get into the parasympathetic system. So if you're feeling extremely stressed by current events, stop, take a moment to feel compassion for those urges in your body, breathe in and out slowly, make it about a 40 seconds to a minute, and then determine, you know, what you're going to eat, what you're going to do next and go from there. So at that, if you still have those urges then you think, okay, what can I do right now? So notice the source of the stress too. Okay. So do some breathing, try to get into your frontal lobe by calming yourself, getting in that parasympathetic system, and then notice what can you do right now? What is possible for you to plan at this moment? If you don't, so use the example of someone who's out of work. So did you sign up for unemployment? Okay. Are you hearing back on that? Is there something you can do um, to get in touch with a supervisor to, to follow up on a lead? Is there something you can do on a, a very small way to get back into some control of your life? Can you work remotely? Can you engage in a sort of routine, a mindfulness routine that even gives you control of your own breath? So controlling your own breath and response is really an unconscious way to take control of a stressful situation because you're noticing I can control my body's response to this, if nothing else. And then noticing small action steps, right? I think you used that term in one of your recent podcasts because you gave some tips for dealing with stress. And I like that because that's what we tell clients to do is to focus on the smallest achievable steps in different situations. Um, there's a therapy called behavioral activation therapy that I really like that I would encourage listeners to research, BAT. It's the distillation you can imagine like CBT therapy. It distills down the most helpful elements. So behavioral activation is doing things in spite of your mood. You can't always think your way to feeling better. I tell clients that all the time because they think they can reason with their negative thoughts and sometimes cognitive restructuring is helpful, right? Usually when a therapist is there. But if you're having some negative thoughts that are irrational and just aren't going away, why not go do some high-impact training or running? Or if you are not in the physical capacity to do that, any sort of exercise, anything to go against your mood, what your mood's telling you, because feelings aren't always conveying accurate data. Be compassionate with your emotions, but do things in spite of them. Behavioral activation therapy teaches that, and it's such a great resource. Plan out what you're going to do during the day to give yourself maybe 10 minutes to worry and to think about what's going to happen. Plan your worry and then say, okay, I did that. Now I'm going to get into whatever it is that I can control, these action steps all throughout the day. That's great. Well, I want to ask you a question from a listener. Sure. Her name is Julie in Corpus Christi, Texas. And this is her question. I eat too fast and I know it isn't helping my weight. As much as I've tried, I can't seem to break the habit. I know that eating too fast can contribute to being overweight. And I read an article that it says that you can be three times as likely to be overweight compared to someone who eats slowly and modestly. I need some tips. I've tried everything. I think my father being in the military and some past trauma and hurt 
from my childhood has something to do with it, but I can't put my finger on it. What are things that I can do to help me slow down? Julie and Corpus Christi. That's such a great question. And she even gave some past history there. I would have guessed that there was some sort of uh, problem stressor there, some maybe early stressor just from the question, but she actually provided that. So what I would say is one of the biggest issues that gets in the way of clients, of patients actualizing therapeutic tips is that their mind, they, they go back into these ego states, these ways of functioning from earlier in life and are not able to, they're not snapping out of that. So an ego state is just the accumulated sort of defense mechanism that you've reinforced. So you can imagine a small stream that then grows larger as it cracks and erodes the, the surrounding soil. And you've got like this stream. You can imagine that as these neural networks, you're strengthening them. So it's basically, okay, get upset, eat quickly. Get up, and you, it's a very child-like mode. So it, it accompanies usually a, a specific way of behaving. So like impulsively and out of fear. So you have like a fearful child ego state because it's a, that's a series of, neural connections that are fi that are that have fired together and now they've wired together to use that helpful rhyme it's it's what we talk about like in neuroscience neurons that fire together wire together these responses become embedded but the great news is they can be rewired so i would say what's happening is she's entering in and it's not fluffy cutesy stuff when we talk about ego states she's entering in this way of thinking that's very tunnel vision and sort of reactive of, okay, better eat quickly, feeling probably a feeling in the body, a somatic marker, we would call it, of stress, and then eating quickly to quell that and focus on something else besides the inner feeling or the, the compulsion um, that, that goes with stress. So I would say, and this is going to be such a cliched answer, but it's because it's true, try to be as mindful as possible of your emotions, breathe in slowly, Take a bite, focus on cutting the food. If it's something that you're eating with utensils, get your, your, uh, para, your, excuse me, get your prefrontal cortex online in some way. Count, do like some backwards non-sequential counting. Do some things that get your effortful thinking online because if you're limbic system eating, if you're eating in, the, in a sort of anxious state, you're in tunnel vision and not thinking about slowing down. You're not accessing that cognitive mode so it's what i call expanding your window of tolerance so that's i didn't invent that stephen porges talks about that a lot he's a, a really awesome um neuroscientist who talks about polyvagal theory in the vagus nerve and you've talked about that in some of your previous episodes but this window of tolerance of what we can tolerate emotion wise before going into our fight or flight mode or our shutdown response right we've got to widen that through limited exposure. And so doing as much as we can, small steps to quell these um, embedded fight or flight responses would be helpful. So when you sit down to eat, breathing in deeply, noticing what the plate looks like, what's on the plate, taking a bite and saying to yourself, okay, I'm chewing this slowly. I'm noticing it, even something as artificial is setting a timer, like kind of timing how you chew. Get really creative with it because the more cerebral you can get with this, 
the less you're going to go into a limbic system, tunnel vision, fight or flight mode of eating or anything else. You're allowing yourself to impose some structure on it. Love it. I love it. Well, this has been great. Tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. So listeners can find me. I have a Facebook um, business page that's just facebook.com forward slash Fox Counseling. So you can find me there. My brand name is Fox Therapy, but Fox Counseling was the, the name open on Facebook. So they can also find me on Twitter at Fox Therapy LLC. So that's where I engage a lot with listeners. Um, You're a they big can, Twitter guy. What? You're a big Twitter guy. Yes. So Twitter, there's a really good therapeutic community there, and there's a lot of disinformation too. So what I like to do is share very non-shaming stuff about trauma because we have to start with self-compassion with trauma. And that doesn't mean enabling yourself to continue stuff. It means telling yourself, it makes sense that I'm doing this. It makes sense what's happening. Who wouldn't be feeling and doing what I am now? You have to acknowledge it and give yourself that permission to change. With DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, there's this, this idea of dialectics or two opposing ideas of like, I want to change, but also I accept myself. And you've got to have both. So what I like to do is really dispel a lot of trauma myths that are out there and the whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps, just get over it mentality. People say, oh, just stop eating. Well, you know, people develop habits for reasons. And if they didn't have comforting support, they're going to have comfort food. And there's, and we have to be very diplomatic about addressing this stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. This is great information. And you guys stay tuned because we have another episode coming up in just a minute. Bye-bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.